Uh, now, in the Sermon on the Mount, I, I just want to reiterate a couple things. I know some of you might get tired of me reiterating, but I have, a, I have a, an idea. One is that your head is probably just as hard as mine. All right? Maybe not, maybe not, but I'm going to say probably at least a third to a half of you have pretty close a heart of head as mine. And things take time to get in. And I, I also have a thing that if, if we look at the Sermon on the Mount as a way to manage our sin, we have missed everything. It's gone. It's completely gone. It is not the gospel of sin management. We do not see this listing of blessedness and the Beatitudes of all these checklists that we are to have. We're not seeing salt and light as this thing that we can do if we strive harder. It is descriptive of how it is when you and I walk together completely open with Jesus. Not veiled, not half and half like some of the, the, the creamer that we have. You don't give Jesus 30, 40% and hope it all works out. The Sermon on the Mount is not about that. If that's what you've gleaned all your life, I, I hope it crumbles during this journey because we are on a journey together. We are on a journey together to follow Jesus. We're not a journey together to, to make a bigger church for our own renown. We are on a journey together to give glory to Jesus Christ. And if, and if you want to be on that journey, I want to tell you the work of the Sermon on the Mount is difficult and it can be painful. How do I know that? I feel like I've been going through it. So uh, the first part's very descriptive. Be attitudes, be this, be blessed. Blessed are the pure in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Sounds really good. Yay, rah, rah, sis, boom, bah. Then it goes into salt and light. And it's like, man, and I've read that for years going, Ah, I've not really done really good at that, and maybe I'm just going to get through if I'm just a little bit better. And then Jesus hits in on a couple of key things, and he's going to keep going, by the way, that hits us square in the head. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but the first one was anger. Our under-the-iceberg anger that we carry hinders our opportunity to be salt and light. Yes, you might check the box of not being a murderer, but if you are angry, and sometimes it takes some revealing to figure that out. I'm not going to flesh it out today, but it is a process to deal with that stuff. It is a process. Then you get into lust. If you, if you look at someone and you lust after them, so lusting and coveting comes in. So you take those two things, and look at the state of America right now, if we were to address those two things in the church, I think we'd have revival. Notice I didn't talk about the world. If we address those things here, and then he goes into uh, the blessedness of marriage and, and how important that is, and then it talks about that your yes be yes. It's all, you know, that you're an honest person. So he goes into, are you truthful? Those are works in process, and if you, um, uh, we were at a prayer breakfast on Friday, and the guy that led it, he said it beautifully. He said, if you feel as though you have loved each other well the past week, 
then you are the only one who can believe that because other people have seen some, how you have not treated them. Maybe you've walked by someone. I'm not being like, You're, we are horrible people. But I'm saying there are things, even in the past week, that most of us have probably walked through where we have not loved our neighbor well. And definitely not loved our enemies. Jesus goes into that. He talks about prayer. And this is where we're going into. We're landing into it this week. And I'm going to do it a little different than maybe what you're used to. I hate confessing all the time up here. I'm just going to tell you, it's getting old. (laughs) I used to dread preaching on prayer. I used to dread hearing people preach about prayer. Because 90 I'm throwing a number out. Don't hold me, researchers. 98% of my prayers have been transactional with God. Checking the box off. Praying for family. And all these things aren't bad. Praying for this. Praying for this. Praying for this. Praying for this. And it has been exhausting. And it's like, man, you know, I, I've heard people. D.L. Moody was one of them. He said if his schedule was deeper and harder and longer on a day, that he's had to spend more time in prayer. And I'm just like, I heard it. I shook my head when people said it, but I didn't experience it. Because many times, many times, I get before God and I try to say something. And then if I'm in a group of people, right, And let's just be honest, if you know you got to pray, I know y'all haven't done this, but you're thinking about how you're going to put things together and pray for something. No? So you get distracted about that, and then it becomes this repetitious thing that we do. Dinner time can be like that. Dear Lord, thank you for this food. Amen. I don't think... That, actually, I know that's not the prayer that Jesus is talking about. And so when I hear, when we get to verse 5, and when you pray, up until this recently, I would have gone, here we go again. Now, many of you know that I have been reading a lot of Dallas Willard stuff Uh, in particular to Divine Conspiracy. And I've listened to what he has to say about prayer. And so this is from him. He defines prayer, and I would encourage you to write this down. It's very short. Is talking with God about what you are doing together. Prayer is talking with God about what you are doing together. Let that sink a little bit. I feel for most that prayer is about what we want God to do for us. God, would you get me over wanting that extra donut tomorrow morning at Dunkin' Donuts? God, would you help me 
uh, with this anger, just clear it out of my heart in Jesus' name. God, would you help me not to lust after this in Jesus' name? And we pray these prayers, and they seem like they fall to the ground. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So we say all the right things that we've been told by many people, and we get in this habit of just sitting down and just asking all these things from God. And we don't have skin in the game. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. And we're going to talk about prayer and stuff, but I want to encourage you to do, if you've written that down, um, faith can be defined as relying on something as if it were so. Faith is relying on something if it were so. So we have to have a prayer of faith. Faith is praying as if it were so. If we're going to pray to God and we're going to pray about what we are going to do together, we've got to believe that lines up in God's will, yes? I mean, it really does make sense. It sounds simple, and in in one sense it is. But we need to pray and talk to God about something that we're going to do together. It's not just God do this and I'm just no good and I'm a peon and you just got to do this. It's like, God, okay, so here's your homework. I'm already at homework. Don't you love it? Think of one thing in this next week, one thing. One thing that you and God are going to spend time in prayer about together. One thing. It might be, God, when I go through that Dunkin' Donuts thing tomorrow morning, you and I are going to work together on this because I don't need that. And that's not my thing, by the way. I really, I mean, donuts are okay, but other things are a lot better. Ice cream, ice cream's a lot better. It's a sure and steady. My heart doesn't have to be made to believe in ice cream. But it might be this. God, I have been walking through this Sermon on the Mount, and this is where I am. And you have been revealing anger in me. Every day, Lord, this week, I want to spend time with you, and we're going to work this anger thing out. Do you hear that? We. All the Spirit, it's his job to give us all that we need, but we have to have skin in the game. We just can't come come up to the altar and go, woe with me, help me with this, and leave. So this next week, if, we're, if you're going to take the Beatitudes seriously, if you're going to take the Sermon on the Mount seriously, one thing, God, I want to love my spouse more this week. How are we going to do that, Lord? How are we going to do that? So listen to what he says in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. You ever been around someone that likes to pray really uppity up, likes to pontificate in prayer? Thus saith the Lord. 
Thou, O God, and, and the heart might be right, and I might just be overly critical. But you often wonder, do they really pray like that when they're alone with God? If they do, God bless them. But we don't want to be like the, the Pharisees and be hypocritical. So what's hypocritical? Praying as if we don't believe. What's hypocritical? Praying and saying, God, do something. We're not willing to do anything. Can you see that as being hypocritical? Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Very recently, I've been spending a lot of time in silence before God. And what is fascinating is that when you begin to do that, the first couple minutes of your head, you feel like you've got to say something. And then, Pastor Todd and I have been praying, uh, just being quiet actually in the morning sometimes, and I remarked to him that it's amazing how many times I want to say something that God already knows and I don't need to say anything. I would encourage you this week to try something different. You might be already here. That's awesome. I'm happy. Try this. Get somewhere alone. Maybe take your Bible, have it there. Maybe have a notepad and maybe have a journal. But no intention to do anything. There's no formula. There's no uh, this and this will give you this. But sit there and be open and say, God, really today, I really want to praise you and you have been beating me down about this anger. And I want to embrace that, God. What would you have me to do? And shutting up. And listen, and listen to the God that we worship and pray to. Let him speak. Let him direct. You don't need an agenda. He will give it to you. I almost want to promise you that you might experience a peace that you have never experienced before in your life. 
and by way of being comical, but not really. Um, I have had, some of you medical people will laugh at this. Uh, whenever I'm with a medical person and, you know, whether I'm talking about my kidneys or anything like that, I always ask them if they can prescribe me some Dilaudid. You know, and, and it's, it's like medical heroin. Had it twice. I know why people are addicted. But I want to tell you some of the same peace that I have found from the pain of Dilaudid and euphoria, and I'm not being weird here, I have experienced by being quiet before God. I, I've sensed the Spirit. I've sensed the calming. Verse 8 says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. He's not sitting there going, I'm waiting for them. They just got to say this one thing, and then I'll give it. He already knows. See, God, here I am. Mother Teresa said, as blood is to the body, prayer is to the soul. We all know what happens when we bleed out. If you are not spending time listening to God, being quiet, and intimately praying with him, then you are, have been bled out and you're dry to the bone. And maybe you've come to church looking for that one message that's just going to change your life and gone, man, I just haven't felt it. I see these people praying. I see this all this stuff. This isn't me. I've been there. I know what that feels like. It's like, man, what do I do? And the body is just dry. The soul is dry from lack of communion with God. You might come after on Sunday morning, you might take communion and that might be the only form of communion you have all week. And you will be dry to the soul. Make my heart believe. In every season, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. I've uh, done some studying, uh, the, and if you look at motion pictures, and I don't spend a, a ton of time watching movies, but telling a story is huge, knowing how to tell a story. And they have this principle that you've got to lead somewhere, lead people to believe that it's worth your time. Have you ever started a movie? My wife and I watched a movie a couple years ago, and it had uh, Anthony Hopkins in it. And we're like, this has got to be a good movie because Sir Anthony Hopkins is in this. And we kept waiting, we kept waiting, and we kept waiting. At the end, I'm like, I have wasted two hours. You remember that movie? It was horrible. I like him. He's a great actor. But if you're going to have people invest in something, you've got to make them believe that it's worth their time. They have a principle of two plus two in the movies, the really good uh, storytellers. This means that you don't give people uh, four equals four, but you give them two plus two and they have to put it together. 
They have to work at putting it together. The good storytellers are the ones that make you think and put stuff together and, and do two plus two. If they give you everything, your mind doesn't have to work. If things go static in storytelling, the story dies, right? So why am I saying all that? Because I believe prayer is, is sort of a similar thing to that. If we know what the end result is when we go into it, there is no expectation of uncertainty. Matter of fact, one of the uh, playwrights, a British playwright, William Archer, said that drama is anticipation mingled with uncertainty. Imagine our time in prayer to be a two plus two moment. We have no idea what we're coming into. We're not prescribing to God what he's got to do for us. We're coming at it and going, God, I'm here, but you've got to be present. And God, you're going to give me the answer to two plus two, and I'm just going to wait to listen to it. I am going to wait to hear. Prayer, I believe, is like a pebble being put in a slingshot. You have to take time to find the pebble. You need to have the slingshot. You need to grab it, and you need to put it in it, and you need to pull back, and you need to aim at something, and you need to let go. If our time with God is more uncertain then we just come at it expecting what he's going to say. We just come in expecting he's going to say something, and sometimes I'm not going to like what he's going to say. But it's from him. Imagine life being like a good story, being like a good movie where we come at it not fearful anymore, not anxious, and some of that scares people to go, I'm not anxious, I can't be that. But we come at it to go, we know who, hold, who is writing the story, right? It's got a good ending, but there is a lot of uncertainty in the middle. And where am I called to go with that? It's an easy answer, right? Where am I called to take my uncertainty? To God. But how often is our Christian praying like a foxhole prayer? We make fun of those people that get saved in a foxhole that all of a sudden the war's on and they're like, oh God, I believe. How much of our prayers like that? Just because circumstances hit, a marriage starts getting wrecked, family starts getting separated, our anger becomes unruly, our lust is out of control, we're lying all over the place, everything's going, falling apart, then we go to God with a foxhole prayer when all along he's just gently going, I want you. I want relationship with you. And I want you to come intentionally asking about what we're going to do together. Just think about that. God, what are we going to do together? And many of us know the Lord's Prayer. It is not a thing that we have to say over and over. It is a great guideline. But just look at verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means holy. He's acknowledging God's holiness. You just acknowledge God, you acknowledge God for who he is. That's a great start. 
Grab the Psalms. Look what David does. He starts reading the Psalms. He's saying, God, you are this. You are that. Pam, I think you read something like that this morning. Here you are, God. We're here, God. Here it is. God, you're holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It sounds good so far, right? I'm in. God, I want your kingdom to come. Any Christian in here is going to go, I want your kingdom to come. We're all excited about that. God's kingdom come. Yes. Our debts as we have forgive our debtors. Uh-oh. Forgive those who've wronged you. Have mercy on people. Be a peacemaker. Pray like that. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is a prayer knowing that we know God's not going to lead us into temptation. We are just saying we're going to do this together, God. So if it's getting off the computer, if it's getting away from a movie, if it's getting away from a relationship, you are saying, God, we're going to do this together. Together, Lord. You will deliver us from evil because there's two of us being a part of this, not just one of us. God's always going to do his part. Remember, praying is talking to God about what you're going to do together. Together. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I like praying the kingdom come thing a whole lot better. Lord, that person just made me so angry. They did this to me and this to me, and you get seething. And the anger grows into contempt, and then people see it around on your face. You call yourself a Christian, and you're angry, and you're lustful, and you're unforgiving. One of my favorite stories when I was a kid, my dad would tell me, at least I attribute it to you, Dad. Maybe it wasn't you, but I think it was. It was a story about Alexander the Great, who was the best general in the world, took over the whole known world, and they had, uh, I'm just going to say for the lack of a better term, a soldier or a private uh, who had run from battle, and they brought it before him. That was a punishable offense, punishable by death to run from battle. This kid came up to him. So just imagine if um, Alexander, the kid walks up to the front to sir, he's like, what have you done? He's like, you know, this person ran from the battle. And so it was said that Alexander the Great looked at him and say, uh, son, what is your name? And the kid muttered, Alexander, sir. Soldier, what is your name? Alexander, sir. Alexander Great stood up with great anger and looked at him and said, Soldier, what is your name? 
Alexander, sir. And his words to him were, change your conduct or change your name. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. I say that not to go, geez, I shouldn't say I'm a Christian. It's not my goal. My goal is that maybe you'll go, Houston, we have a problem. There's a problem in this room, and it's me. I notice I'm not pointing at you. You point yourselves. Problem's me. And Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is offering us not sin management, but he's offering us that to be kingdom people, to say God's kingdom come, means that we deal with our anger, that we deal with our lust, that we deal with our honesty, that we deal with how we view marriage, that we deal with all these things in a biblical way, and that we deal with them by and through prayer. Remember? The Sermon on the Mount is not a bunch of gospels of sin management. Done that for most of my life. I have a feeling so many others in this room have done the same. But Jesus says, forgive, show mercy, be a peacemaker. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. Very briefly, verse 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces. Their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have, will have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but, that your father who is in, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees you will reward you. If you've not taken into fasting, and it's like I could do a whole message, have done messages on this, fasting is a, an amazing part to getting quiet before God, to getting hungry before God, and asking to be filled spiritually. It's not to be done like I'm going to go fast today. It's not about uh, uh, the, the losing weight program. It's about replacing food with time with God. I'm going to end by a quote. Blessed are those ears which hear the secret whisperings of Jesus and give no heed to the deceitful whisperings of this world. Prayer is where we hear the Father speak to us. Prayer is where we hear truth. And remember, it's about listening, right? You're listening. We hear is listening. That we hear the secret whisperings of Jesus. That way when we know untruth, that we will run from it.
We will, just, we will not be deceived by it anymore. Prayer is the method that the perfect, righteous Son of God stepped away from the crowds, got quiet with God, and saw it as a priority function in his life. I pray, church, that that would be our response as well. Martin Luther said, by our praying, we are instructing ourselves more than we are him. Let's instruct ourselves this week about that one thing. Let's pray about what you and the Lord are going to do together. Write it down, listen, and experience Jesus Christ. Would you please stand with me? Communion is an opportunity as a church collective to take and commune with God. In Paul's offering and discussion about coming to communion, it says if you have a problem with your brother and sister, to not go and just take communion lightly and just act like it's fine. He says leave it there and deal with your brother and sister in as much as you're able My encouragement would be again to you that if you have anger in your heart towards someone and you have not forgiven them, leave the elements where they are and pray and listen to God and let him do a work in you together. Everyone's excited about that, right? Gets really quiet. If you are seeing growth in your walk, If you are seeing, man, as I feel like I am, like there's less anger. God, thank you. God, you're teaching me to pray. Thank you. I'm not perfect. I haven't got it together, but I'm going to take of it. Have I arrived? No. But I am seeing him work, right? Take communion joyfully, but don't take it lightly. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. I thank you that we can ask that you make our heart believe In my silence and prayer, Jesus, you are better. Make our hearts believe. In all our busyness, prayer with Jesus is better. Make our hearts believe. In all my anger, Jesus is better. Make our hearts believe. God, we, we come here not as, not as perfect, but perfectly soon in you. God, I pray that our church on this journey, that we would be found quiet before you, engaging with you on what we are going to do together, that we might see the kingdom come in our circles of influence. We long for that, God. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.